This is The Rational Perspective. I'm Alec Hogg. And in this episode, the online influencers who are revolutionizing advertising. Marketers have long known that we listen more carefully to the advice of those we trust than to the messages of corporates who are trying to sell us their wares. So, for decades already, they've drawn on endorsements by celebrities, primarily movie stars and athletes, to generate additional sales for their clients. As anyone who has watched the latest series of the hit TV show Strictly Come Dancing will attest, the look and feel of these celebrities has very much changed. The digital age has ushered in a fresh army of influencers, authentically independent individuals, including previously unknown YouTube video heroes or Twitter superstars. As their influence mushrooms, so has their ability to turn this newfound fame into cash. Some South Africans were among the world's first to spot what has now become a global trend. Five years ago, Webfluential was launched in Johannesburg, a business which today represents 35,000 global influencers with a reach into well over a billion people. Among them are eight South Africans who have become millionaires through their influencer marketing efforts. So to find out how it all happened, I caught up with co-founder of Webfluential, Mike Sharman. So the one piece of marketing jargon that gets thrown around a lot is storytelling and for us we talk about it as story selling because we feel that you have to tell an emotional story to connect with the target market and stories can follow all sorts of different means they can be humorous they can be dramatic they can be um, something that resonates with you as an individual we're seeing it a lot recently with the the types of marketing that's coming out the stuff that was so well received by Nike last year and how you know the just do it has kind of evolved to where, where it is now and actually leveraging people that are outspoken characters within each of their industries and each of their disciplines. The most recent furor has been around Gillette and, and talking to men in particular about being better men. So those are all emotional drivers that are engaging with target markets and whether brands are using an influencer to tell that story or using that person within the storytelling process, there's new ways to reach your target market and your customer. And as a businessman, you ultimately want your target market to feel something for you so that we as someone is standing in the grocery store looking at your FMCG product, that they make the choice of your deodorant or your milk or your razor product because there's something in your communication that has made me feel like I'm aligned and, and your brand resonates with me. Business people just want people to buy more of their products. That's exactly. At the, at the, that's kind of the bottom line. But take it to the next step. Back in 2010, I came back to South Africa from the UK and launched Retroviral. So Retroviral's focus was on a very niche part of advertising. We were focused on amplification and what is known as earned media. So what we did was we worked with a brand such as Nando's, which was one of our first clients back in the day. And in the past, when something topical happened, Nando's produced a poster, and that poster was paid for to go into a newspaper, Sunday Times, City Press, Sowetan, whatever it may be. And... What we suggested to them was there's a huge untapped market within the social space on the Internet. So why don't we take those posters and seed them via important characters in the online space? So this was like the humble, the humble beginnings of influencer marketing before the category existed. And on a Friday afternoon when they launched one of their first 
posters that was around at the time. It was around Julius Malema making comments around shutting Twitter down because there were all these fake Julius Malema profiles on Twitter. And Nando's came out with a poster, WTF Juju LOL. And we put that on the internet. We shared it via social media influencers. And one of my personal blogs alone got 10,000 unique views on that afternoon. And collectively with some of the influencers who had shared it, we pretty much got more than about 100,000 eyeballs on that poster without them spending a cent on paying traditional means to distribute that content. Now with the internet, you can go a lot quicker. You can be a lot topical. You don't have to wait for the Sunday print run or a specific date, deadline or date. Now you can just push it out immediately. And we know that since then, those posters now only exist in the social space and, and customers expect it. And fast forward to Three months later, when we worked on the first video campaign for Nando's, we seeded that content to online eyeballs, 100,000 views in six days. And then a year later, it was the, the campaign that we were most famous for, was that last dictator standing campaign. So Black River made, it the, made the content, then we needed to come up with a solution to get it out there, to be seen by as many people as possible. So we took three Mugabe lookalikes, and they delivered the campaign to 50 online influencers across South Africa, Joburg, Durban, Cape Town. And that created such a snowball that the brand got 2 million views in the first week of that campaign being live. And that was without a cent being spent on media. Then the ad got banned on TV because it, it sparked some uh, questionable utterances about Mr. Mugabe. And that then aided in the support of getting more and more eyeballs in the online space because obviously it couldn't be banned on the Internet. It still existed on the Internet. And the great thing about that was that there was the formula of eyeballs, but then there was also the emotional connection with the brand and driving people and feet through store. So at the time, Nando's could measure that that campaign led to a 25% increase year, in, year on year in actual sales. So here we have an actual piece of communication that drives back to dropping cash into the top line and having an effect on the bottom line. And that for me is the, is the most fascinating thing about this world that we play in. So hence we're provincial, because you've spoken about influencers. Totally, yeah. So initially to start off with, Retroviral was an ad agency or digital agency that focused on amplification. And uh, this is the, the business that still exists today. But while we were working within the Retroviral agency space, Mary Leg and I were the co-founders of Retroviral. And something that we learned from Zuckerberg in the early days was that his mantra within Facebook, and it's something that's quite widely documented, is that he was always looking for ways to make Facebook compete with itself. So there's, you know, there's been learnings of forcing people to do presentations only on mobile, throwing laptops out the window if a, if a presentation was done on PowerPoint. It must be done on mobile. And that was one of the things that we looked at, like where can we grow as Retroviral, the agency, and what can we create as a product that could live alone? And it's something that could be agency agnostic. So some of our competitors could use that tool. So effectively, we were looking at ways to create our agency model as a redundant process to generate something else that could live industry-wide. So back in 2013, we launched Webfluential as an MVP, a minimum viable product, that effectively collated all of the details of influencers that we worked with at the time, and that allowed brands to log on, or agencies to log on, and to connect with influencers, to work with them on their campaigns, to offer them briefs, to allow those influencers to manage their budgets, to manage their commissions, and ultimately become more commercialized creators. Explain that, because it has gone viral in its own sense. It's all over the world now. 
So influencers will log on to webfluential.com. They'll create their profile. Their profile then has a media kit, which in my instance, it's webfluential.com forward slash Mike. I can send out that link to any brands that I want to work with or any potential agencies. Now I, as a creator, don't have to worry about the work coming to me. I can put myself out there. And if someone sees the content that I'm creating on any of my social platforms, they can commission me to work with them on their brand campaign. And the great thing about that is we're using the APIs of the existing social networks. So there's an Instagram API, there's Facebook, there's Twitter. And by pulling in that data, now there's pure transparency in terms of how valuable you actually are as an influencer. Because there was a period where people were worrying about followers being bought, likes being attained but webfluential has its own algorithm and that algorithm is based on reach resonance and relevance so now the system can look oh Alec Hogg has signed up, you've plugged in all of your channels, and we can see from there that you actually are relevant within the business space and you have your greater resonance because people are coming and looking at your content and you're being qualified as an actual influencer in the business space. Now you're qualified as an influencer are you then expected to give out the message that Nando's uh, uh, Nando's is a pretty easy one because it's very easy to like uh, Nando's it's chicken. Rock because they sent you to Davos and you know they're a sponsor okay. of yours. So, so Bright Rock would like come onto the platform. They would punch in the, the criteria that they're looking for business sector. They're looking for someone who's based in South Africa or has an audience in the UK or in America or whatever that may be. And they put in all these details. What is your age? Maybe they want 25 to 34s because they want more millennials taking on their the insurance product, for example. So they'd plug in all of those details at the start of their journey. And then when they hit search, the system will generate in most high to least high relevance for that job and for that brief, potential people that they could work with. So Alec Hogg would be a name that would pop up. You might get one or two other business guys that are in your space. And from there, you have the decision to shortlist people you'd like to work on the brief. So if I'm an agency, I can show my clients these are shortlists of people who are relevant and talk to that audience. Or ultimately, I can pick and choose as I like. And I can start a conversation with you. Hi, Alec. We've seen your profiles because you can click through on all of these elements within the platform. And I can say, I really like what you're doing on Twitter, really like what you're doing on Facebook. We'd love to commission you to work on a piece for Davos talking about X, Y, and Z. And then you can have the conversation. The system suggests a rate card for you based on your relevance within a market and based on your peers, what they're charging. And from there, the brand can say, cool, I'm happy to pay per tweet or per campaign or whatever that may be. Or you might have a negotiation and say, listen, I've got a hundred rand budget and I'd like you to do X, Y, and Z. And you can have that backwards and forwards. So the platform really becomes the facilitator in you commercializing these, these arrangements. And client pays with a credit card they've got their credit card details loaded once you've done the job you put your links up of the stuff that you posted we encourage people to share with ad or sponsored so that there is transparency for advertorial over editorial and then from there you get your payment once you've uploaded your links how how many people do you have on your system we have 35,000 influencers from across the world, and collectively, with all of their networks combined, that's more than 1.4 billion people. Well, that's extraordinary. From a little South African business, uh, as you say, five years ago, that you and Murray were scratching your heads about. And you know what's a great stat? Is that eight millionaires have been made in South Africa from the amount of jobs. So eight people have earned more than a million rand each from their briefs on the platform since 2013.
Can you tell us a bit more about them? The kind of people, obviously, um, as you don't want to be indiscreet, sure. but, but just to, to give us some insight. So it's a mixture, really. It's Some of them are as diverse as photographers and Instagrammers who've created beautiful content in that platform. And they've understood the importance of the mix of still content with video content. And as that network has grown, uh, some one or two business people who straddle the world of agency freelance and create content. So they almost know what sides of the fence they need to play and how to nurture that content accordingly. Uh, there's also been a fashion curator so they're creating a whole bunch of fashion and lifestyle content and, and that's the kind of the key focus of these people that are getting repeat business they may be models in in some respect but they have the real understanding of what the audience wants and what their audience in particular is after and those are generally the influencers that work the best and get repeat business is they know their audience so well and they know exactly how to tailor the content that's come from a brand so it isn't just a, a copy paste on what the brand wants but it's a real negotiation and a real understanding that, hey, brand, you want X out of this relationship. I understand my audience the most, and this is how I'm going to mold content to make sure that it works the hardest for you. How, how has the business community taken to this? Um, the business community has taken pretty well to this. I think if we look at different audiences, there's always uh, skepticism from journalists because of the, the, the breakdown in um, editorial versus advertorial. But I think with with since the early days, we've really focused on people being as transparent as possible. Um, influencers are now an occupation. It's now a potential way of earning money. And for me, a lot of the stuff that we saw when I was at university in the early 2000s, a lot of our jobs didn't exist when I was even at university. So you can imagine what the world is going to look like in the next five to ten years. There's going to be jobs that we could only imagine out of science fiction movies or minority reports and those kinds of things. And there have been a lot of people that have, have um, opened there are a lot of people who have gone in with open arms and have said, cool, this is an amazing opportunity because now we're leveling the playing field, we're showing the transparency, we're whittling out people that have just bought followers to sell themselves as influencers when they really aren't. So we're giving agencies and brands and businesses the opportunity to log on and work with influencers. And if you look at how Facebook has done it with a self-serve model, you can be a small business, an SME, you can go on and you can boost your own products, you can boost your own own brand and that's what we're trying to give back to the business community is whether you're a mom and pop shop one man female band and you're a small business up to that extent or if you're a large multinational anybody can use it and that's the great thing about the platform and the advertisers themselves how much advertising how much money is moving across to you be to being focused on social compared with more traditional uh, Avenues. So South Africa is always one of those markets that's kind of in between your more developed markets and your emerging markets. So here it's been a little bit slower in terms of that, that revolution that you would have seen in the likes of the UK and the other developed markets that you work in. But what's fascinating from a South African perspective is now we're looking at about 25 to 30% of budgets going and being dedicated solely to digital. There are clients that we work with at the agency at Retroviral where 100% of their budgets are being spent on digital and they're not considering the real world anymore because that's where they're seeing their best returns. We're working with brands that are launched purely as digital plays, as digital native brands. And eventually, we're seeing more and more of the traditional guys thinking less about that TV spend, but more around if we spend on TV, how are we working and marrying that content or developing and evolving so that the social spend gives us 
legs in a different way. It gives us the opportunity to run a campaign with these multiple touch points. Mike, just explain that. So 30% of your budget is going into digital. How much of that comes to an organization like Webfluential and how much would go to Google and Facebook? Um, it all depends, really. I mean, it's very much a case-by-case. Case. Some brands will find that search is invaluable, and some of them will put most of their eggs in the search basket because of what people are looking for, whether it be a food or a product that you'd be looking for on the go in your specific area. In other brand instances, in other brand instances, some people just spend on Facebook as their go-to because they know that for a South African perspective, we have almost 20 million people on the platform. So there it makes absolute sense. For us, Webfluential spend is always seen as a complementary or support spend on the back of that. So we will never suggest just using Webfluential in isolation, but rather looking at your, your mix, your marketing mix from a digital perspective. What are you doing from a Facebook or Twitter perspective? What are you doing from a search perspective and an optimization thereof? And what are you doing with influencers? Because like influencers who sold you perfumes on a billboard or on a flyer at the mall, social influencers aren't the holy grail. They're just one touch point in an ecosystem of potential spend. And I think that's why we've always done well in the space is that we're very transparent and we're very honest with our clients. We say to them, listen, if this is not the right time for you to invest in influencers, let's rather hold back. If you need to do your social internal or in-house while it's cheaper for you to do than use an agency, rather build up that spend by using your own resources. And then once you're ready to spend more, then let's talk about all these other touch points, whether it be from Retroviral, the agency, or from Refluential, the influencer support side. What I'm trying to get at here is, again, your almost unique uh, global focus point in Webfluential, where you have managed to to get, as you said earlier, 35,000 influencers. Yes. How many international clients have, have worked there? And is it, like most other parts of the global economy, the biggest in the United States, uh, followed by Western Europe, China, etc.? So here's some interesting stats for you on this. So obviously we have a, an emerging market focus. We've just signed a partner in Russia and Dubai last week. But so far we have 25 partner agencies around the world. And of that, above and beyond that, we've had 3,600 self-served customers. So that's people from small SMEs all the way to the large multinationals or agencies logging on, adding their credit card details, and then closing a deal to work with an influencer. So those partners also pertain to agencies in areas and countries such as Brazil, Nigeria, Kenya, South Africa, India, the UK, USA, Canada, Slovenia. So those are just some of the highlights from the platform from around the world. And we spoke off air about it that South Africa is the perfect test bed for startups. We have an attractive time zone and we also have this very varied market between you know your, your high affluent user and then your lower LSM. And for us what's been really interesting is how we've seen real mix of people. And, and Twitter in particular in South Africa, it started out in the early days as being generally your more affluent platform. Someone had had a degree or greater in terms of their actual education. Now we're seeing a lot more of the leveling of the playing field. And we're looking at ways in which people of, of lower LSMs have started engaging with Twitter in particular. Because now you have access to cheap bite-sized data via text. And it's almost like it's the, the glorified text 
world of 2019, if we look at the, the implosion of platforms such as Mixit, which was the be-all and end-all in the early days of smartphone and, and even pre-smartphone technology, feature phone technology, now Twitter is the thing that connects so many people. That's why we look at politicians trying to own that stomping ground from all sorts of parties, all sorts of shapes and sizes and backgrounds. And for me, it's been the fascinating growth on that front that now we see people emerging as influencers across these different platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, they all have their own um, personality and their own users off the back of that. How do you see things developing? Well, there is a project that we're working on at the moment, and it talks to one of the most important trends that we believe for 2019. If you think about it, who are the most important customers to a brand? The answer is your staff, internal people. Think about one brand that has 10 to 15,000 employees. If those employees are happy and they're spreading positive messages with the market about what your brand is doing, and we're busy implementing one of these in a, in a beta phase with the financial services brand at the moment, here's five or 6,000 people. Behavioral change and behavioral economics is a huge part of 2019. We've seen it with the launch of brands such as Discovery Bank and the imminent launch of Flow to, to change rental behavior. Now with this financial services business that we're working with, imagine if you could post content within a closed platform that allows your staff to post and share content across their social media to their one or two degrees of separation network, and you can reward those people with good behavioral change with a smoothie or a coffee from your canteen that's already been subsidized for that brand. Now you're giving people almost like a vitality experience within the organization out, and you're telling the world out there how great the organization is to work with. So that's one trend that we're working on at the moment. And a second one, which we're incredibly excited about, is based on the amount of images that we have access to with the influencers who are connected via Instagram, for example. There's six million images being uploaded every week onto Webfluential. Imagine we could take that opportunity and now we can commercialize influencers' images so they can make money off their own stock that they've created. That's a huge revenue driver. That adds to the creative economy like nothing ever before. And those individuals now have the ability to sell product in ways that they never thought they could. And if you think about the one challenge on the African continent is good stock imagery, especially when it comes to Black consumers, we know how each market in Africa has to be looked at in isolation because of the nuances, because of the backgrounds, the shapes and sizes of all those different individuals. The existing stock sites don't have images that are truly representative of the different African markets. And now we have the ability to plug into, here's a Kenyan base of influencers, here's a South African base, here's a Nigerian base, here's a Ghanaian, etc., etc. And that gives us the opportunity to help these creators create more monetizable opportunities and revenue streams. You've mentioned Instagram a few times. You've also mentioned Twitter, uh, Facebook, Google Plus seems to have fallen off the off the table. Oh, they're shutting it down. Are, are you expecting that the, of those big three then that are left? Um, which are going to be the big ones in five years' time. When we look back in five years' time, will Twitter be the dominant player, Instagram, Facebook, perhaps YouTube? I think Twitter's always a challenge because of the up and downs with their internal politics. And then there's always the rumors on who's going to acquire it, what's going to happen next. And I think if we look at all of the platforms, Google's always hit or miss. That's why things like Buzz and, and Google Plus didn't necessarily survive. But YouTube has got a solid showing, and it continues to grow 
in Africa. Twitter's kind of flatlined a little bit. Uh, Facebook's growth is, is incremental, obviously, because when you've hit your, your mainstream tipping points, there's only so far you can grow. But for me, I think there's a lot more opportunity on the YouTube phase still. Also, Facebook video in particular continues to grow. And then Instagram. Instagram is on the, still on its hockey stick, especially for um, the South African and African growth and the access now to cheaper data across the continent, the excitement with players like Rain coming to the mix and data and, and the presentation thereof. So I, I think that we're going to see a lot more action on Instagram and Instagram stories in particular uh, over the next few months. But, you know, it's this crazy world where something that existed today won't exist tomorrow. It will be dead. So for me, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, of predicting five years in the future. But it is. It's, uh, it's one hell of a ride. And uh, we're constantly buckling up and listening to the ground in terms of what the, the new developments are in order to, to pivot and create tomorrow what didn't exist today. A young person in the UK, Joe Sugg, has come from nowhere, oh, uh, and he's now a, a well-known star through Strictly Come Dancing that, mm. that he participated in. He's working with Casper, who's from Neisner. Did you know that? Casper Lee, Joe Sugg's business partner. It's an incredible story. There's, well, a, there's a potential uh, podcast for you. Thank you. Yeah. I, so Casper's a... from Neisner originally, yeah. and his breakout was becoming a YouTuber, and he moved to the UK, and he and Joe involved in all of this buddy buddy influencer stuff he and joe and a lot of the content then joe's obviously rise to mainstream fame but he and casper on this huge trajectory together casper's sister theodora lee big influencer out of cape town herself even their mom now she's gained a huge following because so who are the casper. biggies here in south africa you've mentioned a couple um yeah i mean if you look at who's the joe sag of south africa i'd say maps maponyani he's one of our big how big dogs because he's devilishly handsome he's been on the cover of gq you know he's making absolute waves in terms of his business interests and also from his influencer perspective he is more that uh, traditional model approach but geez he's got an incredible startup brain on him and he's involved in quite a few different um projects that are going global he's doing a lot of stuff in the u.s so he really is one to watch and admire, you know, the likes of Kyat Lunga. He's been creating content for what feels like an eternity and across all different platforms. He started out getting a lot of notoriety and fame from his YouTube sessions. Now he's a marketing manager at Rain. So it's, it's quite interesting to see the things that are coming out of our local market and those different influences. A lot of the, the, the artists and the AKAs of the world, the Bonangs, the, um, you know, the Boities. There's a whole bunch of cross-culture and crossover between being a, a star in one genre, whether it be modeling or TV or film, and then moving into the social space. Black Coffee, obviously, he's doing incredible things across the world, taking his own brand of music and working with the best artists on the planet. I mean, he has the credibility of being one of the best producers in the world right now, and uh, that's hugely exciting. So these are role models right here in South Africa for ambitious young talent that's it also ricky rick i mean now he's a judge on on the voice in south africa but he's also one of those guys that really leveraged his success off the internet um if we look at casper Njorvest and fill up the dome so many of these campaigns leverage social media as the wildfire to get action and, and create talkability to to fill things up and, and to, to change consumer behavior it's it's wild it's, what a time to be alive That was Mike Sharman, co-founder of the Influencer Marketing Network, Webfluential. This has been The Rational Perspective. Until the next time, cheerio.